Good day, brothers and sisters, and welcome once again to the CMI School of Christ. And we're going to go ahead and continue with our class, The Great Mercy of God. And uh, just kind of looking at some of our notes from last week. Last week, we, we were basically still in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, we, we basically stayed in verse uh, 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me go ahead and pull that up real quick. And uh, it says, And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. All right. And the main thing we were looking at uh, last week was steward. I think it was steward. Yeah, nope. Yeah, the term steward and um, Strong's number 4943. Yep. And how that it's masculine and singular. And uh, just we had we'd looked at the theological word book of the Old Testament and just saw how they had defined some things and mentioned some things. And they said that it can also be translated as the attacker of my house. And I just want to uh, mention that once again, that this, this Eliezer of Damascus, who was basically uh, the, chief, uh, the chief servant, the steward, he wasn't malicious though we did look at passages where Paul was very malicious and violent uh, to the body of Christ, to the church. But with this Eliezer of Damascus, the only reason, the only thing that designates him as, or the only thing that designates him as being the attacker of my house is simply the fact that he is not the heir. He is not the son of Abram. He is not the son of the father of the house, of the household. That's the only thing that makes him such. He's just not the son. And I think we did cover that. um, We did really emphasize that in our last class. And that's the thing. We are not Christ. Uh, The one who's born again is not Christ. We are the body. There is one head. Uh, I think it was in Corinthians where the Apostle Paul had mentioned, um, let me see if I can find it. And he's basically kind of distinguishing the difference between the various members of the body. Yeah, it's in uh, it's in First Corinthians chapter twelve, and I'll just start. Well, I'm not sure where. I'll just start with verse twelve. Uh, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. Uh, Let me just jot this down somewhere. Because it wasn't wasn't originally in my notes, but I'm thinking of it. Once again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses, verse 12 uh, and onward. 
For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether uh, we be Jew or Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. And these are those who are born again. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am, uh, I am not of the body, it is therefore, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God hath set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where would the body? Where were the body? Verse 20. Uh, but now are they members, are, but now are they many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head uh, to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and upon the uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Uh, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. All right. But basically, <clears throat> and it did mention something about the head, but basically this is what I wanted to mention here. Is it those who are born again, we are the body of Christ. But there is one head. And there is one body. And the members are not the head of the body. The members are the body. Christ is the head of his body. And just the, the thing here with Eliezer, the only thing that made him the quote-unquote uh, attacker of my house is that he was just not the son of the household of the father. He was not the son of the father. That's it. He was not the son. And with us, it's the exact same thing. We are not the Son. Those who are born again, the Son is in you, in your soul. There's a great difference between the land. Whoa! <laughs> Sorry. I thought my diagram was back there, but that's all right. Well, there's a great difference between the land versus the one who fills the land. The land, the soul, finds everything, finds its life, finds its salvation, finds its peace, finds its righteousness, finds its holiness, finds its sanctification, finds all the terms in the Scripture in the one person who fills the land, in the one person who fills the soul. And that's Christ Jesus. That's it. In Him we find salvation. In Him we find our righteousness. In Him we find our peace. And so on and so on and so on. <coughs> Excuse me. I have a sinus infection. I had a cold last week. And now this week it's a, it turned into a sinus infection. So Lord willing, with the antibiotics, it'll be gone by next week, hopefully. So... Uh, there's just a great distinction. Um, and the whole fact of the matter is that we are not the Son. Okay? The Son is the life of the body, but we are not the Son. So anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. What I wanted to do is... Um, just look at a couple of terms here. It's funny because I have the Spanish in a linear in front of me, and that does me no good in English. But I want to I focus mainly uh, this class on uh, verse 3. 
And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. <coughs> and, lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And the whole thing right there with seed, if I can pull it up here, Give me just a second here. There it is. It is singular masculine once again. Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And as I stated in uh, just the, the previous classes, maybe the last class and the class before last, that the whole thing with Abram is it at, by, at this point, this is the third appearing of the Lord in the land for Abram. And there is more of the Lord governing his heart. There is more of the Lord governing Abram. So with him, he, he sees, shall I say, something beyond himself. He sees something beyond a individual person, Abram. And uh, I, I think we shared at one of the last classes, one of the previous classes, that he saw the day of Christ. He saw something greater. The issue was greater than just Abram, a man, having a son. The issue was greater than that. The issue was a father, a son, and an inheritance for that son. And as I've stated before, God as creator, remember, creator of heaven and earth, God as creator created the soul with one purpose. The soul is his by virtue of being its creator. And yet God the Father gives the soul, that which he created, unto his son as an inheritance. And the son takes possession of the soul through redemption. He redeems. He redeems the land. He redeems the land and basically unto himself. <clears throat> so it's Abram Abram sees the bigger picture. Abram sees the, the the to some extent the eternal reality, the eternal greater purpose. Father, son, inheritance, land, land of inheritance. So this is what's governing Abram. Um, <clears throat> and I went ahead and uh, looked up this term heir. I've got several Spanish lexicons and dictionaries I could read to you just on their definitions and things, but it wouldn't do you much good. But uh, I actually didn't have much time to look at the um, in my English printout notes here, but that's okay. I think I can kind of go through them a little bit. <clears throat> but anyway, with Abram, that's why the concern with Abram is so... Uh, where it is. That's why he's so concerned right now. It's that Abram sees something not yet falling in line the way it should be. Abram sees something along the lines of himself being a testimony or there being a testimony of these things uh, that he is beholding. And that's why he's so concerned with a son. And right here, um, Verse 3, let me just go ahead and mark it. Verse 3, And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. A slave, a servant in my house is my heir. As things stand right now, the servant is, in, is going to be the heir. So, here's Strong's uh, number 34, uh, 23, for the term heir. And it's uh, Yarash, in Hebrew, and forgive me for my pronunciation, I know it's probably terrible and not even close, but this is Strong's uh, Hebrew Dictionary. It says, uh, a primitive root to occupy, and listen to the way, way it says this, by driving out previous tenants. 
to occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. By implication, to seize, to rob, to inherit, also to expel, to impoverish, to ruin. And they translated into the English as cast out, consume, destroy, disinherit, dispossess, drive out, driving out, enjoy, expel, uh, inheritance, inheritor, give to possess, make to possess, get, have, in possession, take in possession, seize upon, succeed, and utterly. <clears throat> so the reasons why I wanted to just read you all those is that in reading those, especially where it says right here, by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place, it should immediately, what it did with me, well, maybe it shouldn't, I don't know, maybe you have a different thought, but the thought that came to my, my heart was basically this. When Israel comes in to take possession of the land, namely with Joshua. And the thing with, with the land, uh, as we're looking at it, and as it, as it testifies in the scripture, the land is not Christ. And I know that there's several teachings out there where they present the land as being Christ and a person needing to come into Christ or a believer needing to make the journey to come into Christ. Well, the land is not Christ. The land is the soul because the land is the inheritance of the seed who is Christ. Okay? Because think of this. What about the Canaanites? Are there any Canaanites in Christ? Are there any Jebusites in Christ? No, there's none of that. There's none of that. Now, <clears throat> I will say this, because we have looked at it in previous classes. At the moment of new birth, the God of glory fills his house, fills his temple, the soul, the land, with himself. The, be the beautiful picture and testimony of this is in John, I think it's like chapter 1, actually probably chapter 2. There's just a beautiful order. Uh, first, there's the first miracle Jesus ever does. He changes the water into wine. That representing new birth. That which is completely impossible and natural to do, but possible with God. He changes water. Excuse me. There we go. I had to check my, uh, my preamp. Uh, he changes water to wine, something that's uh, genetically and chemically impossible to do. The Son of God does by him being present. <clears throat> that represents new birth, something completely impossible with man, but possible with God. Okay. One of the next things that Jesus does is that he goes into the temple, drives out everything that's not him, everything that does not glorify God, which is everything but him, and then he alone remains in the temple, the glory of God filling the house. That happens at new birth. That happens immediately at new birth. Now, what is next, and we've seen this order with Exodus, uh, Surely, my, as I, surely I live, saith the Lord, my glory shall fill the earth. And then it goes on to Isaiah, the heavenly declaration, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth, land, is full of his glory. And then I think it was uh, Habakkuk. And the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Completely, completely. But what is to fill completely? Now the knowledge, just as the glory fills the earth completely. Now the knowledge should fill the earth completely as well. The knowledge of the one who's present. <clears throat> so there you have like the order. And 
So now here we have the Canaanites, the Jebusites, and all these otherites. Uh, what do we do with those? Well, as I stated in previous classes and up to now in my studies, all it is are our concepts that we bring across. Because uh, we may be looking at some of these verses here. One of the things that the Lord says, okay, you're going to destroy their high places, you're going to destroy their idols, you're going to destroy their images. And what it, what it comes down to is just their concepts of God. What is an idol? An idol is what I believe to be God is like. Think about it. It's what I believe God is like. That's an idol. It's crafted out of my imagination, out of my thought, what I think, my concept. Now, when the living God appears, when God the Father reveals His Son, that's not a concept, brother and sister. That's reality. That's a person. And your concept of that person is immediately destroyed when the person appears. And I know I've used this uh, example in times past, and past. so forgive me if you've already heard it, but I'll, I'll share it again for those of you who haven't. Um, I remember uh, one of the times when I went down to Costa Rica, and there was this one brother there, and uh, he, didn't, <clears throat> he, he had mentioned something. Uh, he, he was hearing some of our audios online, and so when, when we show up there and he meets me face to face, he said some, something like, the comment was something like, oh, I thought you were uh, like different. Or I thought, I, I thought you had brown hair or something. I don't know. I mean, I have really dark, dark brown hair. But uh, his concept of me came to nothing when he, meet me, when he met me face to face. And see, there was this other conference that we had here uh, two, three years back. Uh, this one sister in the Lord, she met me and she says, oh, now, she said something like this, now I've put the face with the voice because she was also hearing you know, some of our, our audio classes and not the video classes. And see, that's the way it is. We have a concept of the Lord And until he appears, it's our image. And we worship that. We pay homage to it because we believe that's God. We, we have our concept, we have our thought of what God is like, of our relationship with God and his relationship with us. And we religiously guard that. But see, that's just our concept. That's just... Uh, what what we believe having not yet seen. But when God the Father in His great and tender mercy and ever-bounding grace reveals His Son, then in the midst of facing the person, in the presence of the person Himself, our concept is done away and reality governs. Now, I've said it. The goal is not government. The goal is not to be governed by reality. No. Reality is just the natural automatic of when Christ appears. Did I say that right? Let me say it again. Let me, I can't remember if I, if I said it right or wrong, but being governed by reality, being governed by truth, being governed by Christ isn't the goal. The goal is for Christ to appear. When Christ appears, when God the Father reveals His Son, then the automatic is that we are governed by the one we behold. Because for the most part, we are beholding our own face, we are considering our own face, and we're governed by our own image and by our concepts, and by our thoughts, and by our beliefs concerning what we believe God to be based on our own image. I'm sorry, I'm holding my hand up like if I'm holding a mirror right here. 
But when God the Father reveals His Son, He doesn't reveal an image. He reveals a person. And in the presence of that person, our concepts, our images, are destroyed. That's why you have here the primitive root to occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. The soul, the land, is the inheritance of the Lord. It's given unto him of the Father as right of the firstborn. It is his inheritance to take. It's his already. The soul is his already. But see, the Lord also said this to Joshua. Because even before that, he says, I give you this land, it is yours as inheritance. But then he says this to Joshua. He says, every place where you set the sole of your foot, I have given it unto thee. And all, basically what that means is any place where Joshua appears in the land, there is where he governs. And once again, Joshua is a type of the head, Christ, the risen Lord. Any place where the Son of God is revealed of the Father, there is where he governs. And you can see it just with uh, the whole, the whole thing, the whole land. Um, when the enemies are in the land, the concepts, our thoughts, our images, blah blah blah, etc. Then, then that's what governs until the Lord appears. Then He governs, and what happens? in the brightness of His coming, in the brightness of His appearing, everything else is destroyed. And see, please understand, all that's destroyed is our concepts, is our thoughts. He doesn't come to destroy the land. Jesus said this, I did not come to destroy men's souls, but to save them. And His appearing in the soul is the salvation of the soul. And we walk in salvation as we are walking in His appearing. As we continue in His appearing. <clears throat> and I just wanted to just mention this, that everything works contrary to the purpose and will of God for which He created the soul. And once again, the purpose and will for which God created the soul is the appearing of His Son in it. And I love this. It's Acts chapter 26, verse 16 James Murdoch's translation of the Sir Pishito. I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to constitute thee and minister any witness of this, thy seen me, and have thy seen me hereafter. See, it's a continual walking in the appearing of the Lord. It, it is a continual walking in the truth, walking in the light, walking in faith. That's all it is. Walking in an ever in an ever increasing knowledge of of the one who is present. It is growing in an ever-increasing knowledge of the one who is present. And once again, it is not my knowledge, it is not your knowledge, but it is the knowledge of God. The Holy Spirit bringing the heart from the knowledge of man unto the knowledge of God, which is Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, he just doesn't leave it as some, some generic term. No, in the face of a person, the Son, the heir. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there, I love these words, a primitive root to occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place, taking possession in their place. And once again, even with these words, these, are, these, these sound like really violent terms. And in the Old Testament, it was pretty violent. It was pretty violent because our concepts resist everything of God. Think of it this way. <clears throat> Before you were born again, you had a concept of God. And someone said, someone came across your path and probably said, you know, or hopefully they did, <laughs> you must be born again. And your concept immediately rose up 
and said, what do you mean I need to be born again? I know God. I read the Bible. I do good. And yet, the truth remains. You must be born again. No. I know God. He's a loving God. He's the God of the New Testament, not like the Old Testament. He's a loving, caring God. He forgives us. We have a concept that resists the truth. Even Jesus said, you must be born again. Except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom. And the kingdom is not a thing. The kingdom is a person. It's Christ himself. And the kingdom, the king reigns wherever he is appearing. So then finally, and it is God's tender mercy and ever abounding grace, the soul finally comes, the heart finally turns to the Lord and the soul is now born again. Christ appears in the soul. But see, at that moment, though the change has come, the change being not I, but Christ now who's present, we're not governed by that change. We have no clue of the one who's present. We have no clue of, of the one who's in the midst. So we still continue with our concepts, with our illusions, our treasured illusions of what we believe God to be like and of what we believe our relationship with God is like. My relationship with God and God's relationship with me. You see, all those are still our concepts. And so <clears throat> someone may come across to you and, or may, may come across your path and then, you know, you've read, you've studied the scriptures, you've, you've learned, and you've probably even gone to Bible school and then someone says, you know what? I'm praying for you that God would reveal His Son in you. And immediately, everything, all the natural carnal knowledge that you possess that has now become a concept of what you believe God to be like and of what you believe your relationship with God is, rises up and says, what do you mean? I, I know Jesus. I know God. I believe in God. You get, I believe in God. I believe the scriptures. I read all about, I read all about Jesus. I'm knowing the Lord. And yet Jesus says this, No man knoweth the Son save the Father. No man knows the Son except the Father. And no man knows the Father except the Son and he to whom he will reveal him. If God does not reveal the Son, brother and sister, we do not know him. And our, our carnal concept of him doesn't matter. In saying that, our carnal concept rises up and say, no, I know God. I study the Scriptures. I, I use my lexicons and concordances or I read the commentaries or I read the Bible dictionaries. And yet, if God the Father does not reveal His Son, you do not know Him. Paul said it this way, what natural eye has not seen, could never see, and can never see, it has pleased God to reveal unto us by His Spirit. Reveal, reveal. Once again, <clears throat> the whole heavenly calling from the beginning with our example of Abram. Get thee from thy kindred, from thy land, from thy kindred unto a land I will show thee. And once again, what is the land that God shows? The land that is full of His glory. Excuse me. The land wherein His Son dwells. And just the verse in Galatians, Paul, I don't know if Paul is trying to define that, uh, verse with Abram or not, but he sure, sure he surely does. Uh, Paul says, "But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, called me by His grace to reveal His Son in 
me. And then he goes on, that I might preach him. Do you see? It, it all revolves around a person. He didn't, he didn't say to reveal a message in me, to reveal a teaching in me, to reveal a sermon in me. No. To reveal His Son in me. And what do you think happened in Paul's heart when that happened? Paul's concepts were destroyed in the brightness of the coming of Christ. And now, Paul can declare, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. Not I the life, but Christ in me. It is not I, but Christ. An ever-increasing knowledge of the one who is present. And that knowledge is God's knowledge. And it's His Son. It's not God's knowledge about His Son. No, the knowledge of God is His Son. The wisdom of God is His Son. It's all. Christ is the all things of God. So, uh, just going on a little bit here. I wanted... uh, I'll just make reference of reference of a couple of verses here where where it just brought this to light, you know, some of these verses that made me think about this to inherit, uh, to seize, to also to expel uh, by driving out, to occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. Uh, in Exodus 34, verse 12, Twelve through fourteen, it says, uh, "Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land." Now, all this right here, he's speaking specifically to the seed, to Israel, as being Christ. So, in essence, God the Father is speaking to His Son. Verse twelve: Take heed to thyself, lest uh, thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Worship the Lord alone. See, Jesus had no, no concept of the Father. He didn't bow down to any concept that was presented to him of man or of the devil. No. Jesus continued before the face of his Father, and he worshiped the true living God. Now I'm saying Jesus of Nazareth when he walked on the earth. Okay. Uh, Deuteronomy, and this one I did I did want us to just to look at. There are several passages here that all mean the same thing. They're basically saying the same thing. But in Deuteronomy, I thought this was just interesting. Uh, yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. I'll just start reading. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thee. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them utterly and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. And I just, when I read that, I thought, wow. Here's our class. Here's what the Lord has been placing upon my heart for a good while now. The great mercy of God towards the soul towards the heart and soul of man. And yet, towards our concepts, towards our idols, towards our images, 
there is no mercy to be shown. Why? Because it stands in the way of the one who is present. It, they blind us from the one who is present. See, as long as I hold on to my concept of God, then I'm doing this to the Holy Spirit. No, I've got it. I know Jesus. I know the Son. I've seen Him. And yet the Holy Spirit continues faithful because He's faithful to the Son. He's faithful to the purpose of God. He's faithful to the will of God. He continues faithfully preparing the ground of our heart, the ground of our soul, until it can bear an appearing of Christ the Son, until it can turn unto the Lord and bear His appearing. He's faithful. And that may take minutes, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, and very sadly, sometimes even years. And even worse, maybe even decades. But He continues faithful unto that end. And see, we are just... Everything we do is in ignorance. Our uprisings, our upheavals, our, our fortifying of our concepts and our images are held tighter, all in ignorance. Ignorance of the true God who is present, of the true One who is present, because we are ignorant of Christ Himself, the Son of God who is present. So therefore, all this other stuff. And see... <clears throat> When the Lord appears, all these concepts, as I say, these our concepts are religious uh, idols, images. They're destroyed in the brightness of His coming, of His appearing. And what happens when that happens? The effects of when the Son is revealed, of God the Father, is it we enjoy the One who is present. We enjoy the salvation that is present. We enjoy the peace that is present. Uh, we enjoy the wisdom that is present because we enjoy the Son Himself who is present. And see, <clears throat> Paul, who was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, who was a Pharisee, who was a scholar and learned Hebrew, he still has this cry. And it's, you can find it in Philippians. He says, Oh, that I may know Him. A person. He didn't say know about Him, which we receive from the Scriptures, about, or from hearing someone share, preach, teach, or view a sermon, or read a sermon, or listen to a sermon, or whatever. No. That I may know Him. And once again, the only way we can know him is if God the Father reveals Him. <clears throat> it's always like that. It is, it, is, it is a miracle of God beginning to end. It is a miracle of God. It's all a miracle of God. And therefore, no man can glory in His presence. Man glories in his own presence. But no man can glory in His presence because you didn't bring yourself there. And we'll see it with, with Abram in a little bit where the Lord says, I brought thee from the land of, the, of Ur the Chaldeans to bring you unto. See? Where can we glory? We can't glory in anything that we've done. It's a miracle of God. You can't glory in the fact that you're born again if you are born again. You can't glory in that. What did you do? You did nothing. It was God's mercy and grace that brought your soul to new birth. That your soul could be founded in new birth. That you, that you could be born again. That your soul could be found in salvation. Brought to salvation. You didn't do that. Man, man doesn't do these things. Remember the rich young ruler? Uh, the whole story with Jesus and the rich young ruler and his disciples, the rich young ruler comes running in his own strength. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what do I need to do? What can I do? 
What must I do? Jesus said, okay, well, you want a list of things to do here. Do this. Oh, I've done that all from my youth. I've done it all. He says, okay, well, try this. Oh, well, I can't do that. And he goes away sad. The one who comes in his own strength leaves in his own strength. And yet the ones whom the Father draws remains. Because then Peter pipes up and says, well, if this man basically can't be saved or can't be born again, what of us? And then Jesus gives the reply, the answer. With man it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. And see, no man will ever glory in his own self, in what he has done. When the Lord appears, there is no glorying. And even after the new birth, all your studies amount to nothing unless, unless the Holy Spirit can take them and use them to prepare the ground of your heart to turn to see the face of Christ, where God the Father can reveal His Son, and the Son can rise up within our heart, within our soul, and declare, I am. At that moment, brother and sister, you cannot glory. Because the same thing you experienced at new birth, you experienced, or excuse me, the same thing you experienced at new birth, you experience in the revealing of Christ. And all that's left is a grateful heart, a heart that is grateful unto the Lord. Thank you, God. What I could not do, what I could never do, you have done. And we glorify God. So, <clears throat> Jesus does not come to destroy the land. He comes to destroy the concepts that govern the land so that righteousness may reign, so that peace may reign, so that love may reign, so that life may reign, so that the sun may reign. The perfect picture of uh, the risen sun governing the entirety of his land is Solomon seated upon his throne. Beautiful picture, beautiful picture of the risen Lord. Okay, uh, so those verses, uh, the Deuteronomy, Exodus, and even one in Jeremiah, we will read one in Jeremiah too. <clears throat> There's this uh, beautiful testimony that basically the Lord comes to bring salvation to the land, and in that. He destroys all that is, listen, He destroys all that is contrary to the land enjoying its salvation. Yes, I think I said it correctly. He destroys all that is opposed to the land enjoying its salvation. He destroys all all that is opposed to the land enjoying its rest. I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, I remember uh, one time on a trip back from Mexico, it's crazy. If I, if I ever told it anyway, it's a crazy. My wife especially knows how crazy it was, and Raven especially knows. But uh, on one of our trips back from a conference from Mexico, I, right after we crossed the border and had dinner, I had a gallbladder attack. And uh, actually, my gallbladder, like, quit. You know, it just, at that point, it quit. And for two days straight, my whole body was not at rest. I couldn't. There was severe pain going on. Uh, finally, when the doctor operated on me, he, I, I don't have a gallbladder anymore. He took it out. But he said it was, it was already going gangrene. You know, he, he cut it. It was already infected and everything. But during those days, I could not sleep. My, my body was so tired. And I, because of the pain, I couldn't even sleep. And my body was not at rest. It couldn't rest because of something that was 
almost being detrimental to my whole entire body. It was going gangrene. It was poisonous. It was beginning to almost poison my entire body. And my body could not rest with that present. So, I remember uh, immediately as we came into Arkansas, got to my house, my wife rushed me to the emergency room. And they, they just took one look at me, stuck me in a room. <laughs> and uh, my wife was still filling out paperwork. And they gave me a, a painkiller through an IV. They gave me a painkiller and an antibiotic. And I'll tell you what, within less than a minute, when that thing started to kick in, my body finally was able to rest. And they, it, I, I fell asleep. They were trying to ask me questions. I just fell asleep. My body could finally rest. And brother and sister, our souls are not at rest until we... Okay, let me, let me, say, let me say it this way. Our souls are in the condition of rest because Christ, who is the Sabbath of God, is present in the soul. But our souls, our hearts, our souls are not enjoying the rest until the sun appears, until Solomon appears to be on his throne. Then the land is at peace. The land is at rest. All wars cease there is no warring when Solomon is reigning upon his throne. The whole land is at peace. And then the land enjoys the rest. The land enjoys the peace that is present. We do not fully enjoy the rest that is present, the peace that is present, the one who is present until God the Father reveals the one who is present in our heart and soul. Up until that point, we have a concept of who's present. We have our imagination, our treasured illusion of who is present. And that stands in opposition of the one who is present. That stands in opposition of the truth. Christ himself. Okay. So, sorry, I've got, I think I've got something in my eye because it's been bothering me this whole class. There we go, it was an eyelash. All right, <clears throat> it was just tickling. Um, this is Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, verse 10. Or I'll just start with um, verse 9. And, and right here, Jeremiah, he's another type of Christ. So it's basically the father speaking to his son. Verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, pull down, and to destroy, and to throw down, to build and to plant. But listen to these three things. Root out, pull down, destroy, throw down. Four things. Root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. Versus the two other things that are just uh, build and plant. But see, utter destruction to what? To everything that stands in opposition to the building up and to the planting. Can't you hear the Apostle Paul saying it? Everything that stands, I mean, utterly destroy everything that stands in opposition to the building up of the body of Christ. The establishing of the body of Christ. That's what, plant, that's what planting is. To be rooted, grounded. Plant, rooted, grounded in love. But see, what is it that stands in complete opposition? Once again, it's our concepts, our imaginations, our illusions, our concept of God, our idols, our images that rule the soul. But as I stated, Jesus didn't come to destroy the soul. He came to save the soul. He just comes as a, as a salvation of the soul. We're just ignorant 
of the true salvation of the soul. So long as we cling unto our image, then there's a, then the Holy Spirit continues to prepare the ground of our heart, the ground of our soul, until it can bear the true image, until it can bear an appearing of the sun in it. So let's see where we're at. Yeah, I was going to read some of the vines uh, concerning that term air, because that see this is what's really bothering uh, Abram. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in mine house is my heir. The, the servant is the heir at this point. By the laws, the customs of the times, the servant's still the heir. How can a servant be an heir when he is not the son? A son. The, the son, not just a son. The son of the father is the heir. Uh, this is Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words for that term. And, and it's actually, I found it in Vine's under the term possessed, and that's what took me so long to print these off. But it's still Strong's number 3423, Yarash, uh, to inherit, subdue, take possession, dispossess, impoverish. This word is uh, attested in all Semitic uh, languages except Akkadian, Phoenician, and Biblical Aramaic. The word appears in all periods of Hebrew. The Bible tests it about 260 times. Biblically, or excuse me, basically, yarash means to inherit. The verb can connote the state of being designated as an heir. Abram said to God, Behold, to me thou hast given no offspring, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Literally is the one who is inheriting me. And that is specifically Genesis 15.3. They have it specifically cited to this verse we're looking at. The first biblical occurrence of the word, which is, yes, this is the first biblical occurrence of the word. And just think about that. Air. The first time it ever appears is the conversation with Abram unto the Lord about a father, a son, and an inheritance. It's just beautiful. Uh, Whatever Abram had to be passed on to his legal descendants was destined to be given to his servant. Hence, his servant was his legally designated heir. (coughs) All right. Excuse me. And forgive me, I know I'm running out of time here. I'm not going to read the rest of this uh, Vines Expository Dictionary, but you can take a look at it if you want. Uh, It's it's real nice. Uh, But I do just want to mention a couple of comments here. Uh, Just the whole situation with Abram is that he recognizes there's something greater here uh, than me. Abram recognizes there's something greater here than me, Abram. There's something greater at stake more than me, Abram. Uh, he has no seed, therefore no true heir to the promise because he has no seed of his own. Remember, once again, Abram is governed by this, by, this, by this point in time, Abram is governed more of the mind of the Lord than his own mind. Abram is governed more of reality than of his illusion or his concept. So, <clears throat> he recognizes to some degree, to whatever degree, that there is something greater at stake than just that which concerns him personally. And I think uh, Hebrews may have say it, said it, uh, which we'll look at the verse later on in class because we're, we're out of time, uh, but of things that would be spoken of later. He was going to be a testimony of Christ. And once again, in our last class, he had seen the day of the Lord. Every single appearing of Christ was an appearing. He was seen beholding the day of the Lord. And with this one, it's no different when the Lord appears. In a vision, he appears. A theophania, theophany of Christ. Forgive me if I didn't pronounce that word right. But 
he continues in seeing the day of the Lord, where Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Thank God it, it doesn't say he was sad. And see, that's the way it is. We think, we think that we're going to be sad because we have our own treasured illusion. It's our own personal treasured illusion of what we believe our life to be and of what we believe God to be and of what we believe to be our relationship with God is. Until, until, in God's tender mercy and ever-abounding grace, by His Holy Spirit, brings our heart from our understanding unto His understanding by revealing His Son. And in the revealing of His Son, we are glad. Once again, thankful. A heart that is thankful unto the Lord. We don't, we don't know thankfulness until the Lord appears. Or how shall I say it? We don't experience thankfulness until the Lord appears. And we continue in His appearing. Okay? Uh, once again, just with the last comments. The issue is greater than Himself. The issue is greater than Abram. And He realizes this. He's concerned that one that is not His Son will be the heir. He's concerned that one that is not the Son will be the heir. Abram, as a type of the father, cannot have a slave, a servant, be the heir. He cannot. Yeah. That a slave, that a servant, will be the heir. And that's his whole concern, Abram, at this time. His whole concern is that a slave, that a servant, will be the heir. Well, we already looked at it, I think, in our last class with uh, Moses. Moses, who is faithful in all his house as a servant, but Christ as a son over his own house. And see, there's a greater, there's a, there's a greater. And once again, as I said it, we are the body, we are not the head. There is one Son. I'm not the Son. You're not the Son. No. We are the body of the Son. There is one Son. The inheritance goes to the Son who is Christ. And that inheritance is the soul of man. It belongs to Him. And once again, our inheritance, the body's inheritance, is just the Son's the Son. Possessive, the Son's, Son, apostrophe S, the Son's appearing in His land. Christ appearing in His land. This is our inheritance. This is our inheritance. The appearing of Christ. And just bringing it, wrapping it up once again with the Apostle Paul, even as he declared, Oh, that I may know Him. A person. And I am fully aware and that Paul was fully aware that the only way that would happen was if the Spirit of the Lord was by the Spirit of the Lord preparing the ground of his heart and soul to turn yet once again to be able to bear in appearing of Christ, the Father revealing his Son in the land. So... We'll end for this class because I know I've gone over on time. Forgive me for that. But uh, we'll see you in our next class. Till then, the Lord bless. And may we just allow the Holy Spirit to do what He does. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, that, that the Holy Spirit, He's faithful. And I'm so thankful that He's faithful. And one of the things that He did with me was He brought me to the point where I was finally questioning God, asking God, God, have I really seen you? Have I really seen your Son? Has Christ really been revealed in me? Has the Son, have you revealed your Son in me? Have you really revealed your Son in me? He brought me to the point where I could finally even ask that question because I had thought, I had these concepts, yes, my concepts, my beliefs, that Christ was revealed in me. 
because of my knowledge of studying the scripture, the knowledge that I had gained in my studies, the knowledge that I had gained in the message that I would embraced. And yet the Holy Spirit continues faithful and will always be faithful unto the Son, the person, reality, real Son, the Son. So I'll let you go with that. Lord bless you all. See you in our next class. Amen.